Welcome. You are listening to Intentional Conversations from Nika White Consulting, an encore presentation of our weekly podcast where we intersect diversity, equity, and inclusion with leadership and business. Let the conversation begin. Now, it does me great pleasure to reintroduce our guest co-host for today. And I say reintroduce because before we started, um, Jen and I were talking and actually she was one of our very first Intentional Conversations vodcast guest co-host. And so it's so great to have her back now um, about two years later. But as I normally do, I'm going to read her official bio so you can get all of the information concerning her accolades, her experience, her credentials. And then we're going to invite Jen to just greet this audience in her own way. Jen Tardy has been helping employers and job seekers reach their goals since 2004. Far more than a recruiting thought leader and career success coach, Jen is on a mission to make it easy for recruiters to find, attract, engage, and hire job seekers from historically underrepresented backgrounds, ultimately helping employers to increase diversity. Through customized hiring success diversity recruiting training programs, she empowers organizations to identify inequities in their hiring process and eliminate challenges that might be preventing them from achieving their initiative to increase diversity. Her career success coaching program provides expertise to historically underrepresented job seekers to supercharge their careers and forge professional success. She is an official partner to LinkedIn and the Society for Diversity, where she serves as a career coach to its members. She is a graduate of Virginia Tech with a bachelor's and master's degree in business administration, and she owns and operates Jennifer Tardy Consulting, also known as Team JTC, which is an internationally known award-winning diversity recruitment consulting firm based out of Maryland. So Vodcast community, you know what to do. Take to the chat, take to the comments if you're joining us via LinkedIn Live. Let our guest co-host Jen Tardy know that we appreciate her being here. Let her feel welcome. <laughs> and I am adding you to the spotlight. And I just want to give you an opportunity, Jen, just to greet this audience in your own way. But here's the catch. You may recall this from before. Now, I've read a lot about what's in your bio, right? Yes. So as you greet this audience, you have to also give us one to two nuggets, right? Give us the tea on some things about Jen Tardy that we would not know from reading Jen's bio. Okay? Okay. Welcome. Okay. Thank you. And thank you for having me. And let me just tell you, it is very, I have so many things to say, but I'm going to make it short and sweet. I'm so excited to see some familiar names and faces in the audience. I cannot believe that it's been two years since I've been here. You reminded me of that backstage, and I'm so ready to have this conversation with you. So um, something about me. Um, recently, I made an absolutely interesting decision to um, add a puppy to our family. Okay. Ooh. So I've been promising my son. So I have a six-year-old and a seven-year-old, Austin and Aiden. Um, I've been promising them for a year that I'd get a puppy and I couldn't hold it off because they would ask me two to three times a week, mommy, you said you're going to get us a puppy and they already named it um, Twix. And so here's interesting food for thought. Um, I actually have a puppy behind me. So anyone who's ever had a, a beagle, I'm now learning that they have high separation anxiety. Um, oh. And so he's right here asleep right now. You're not going to hear anything oh. from him. But that is an interesting thing because it's changed my whole world. 
this last oh, week. Oh, <laughs> a beagle. How cute. Well, maybe, maybe, what's his name again? Um, Twix. Now, Twix. I love that. He's so maybe on the floor behind Twix me. Will, okay. I was going to say, so maybe though, there's some point in this hour window mm-hmm. of time mm-hmm. that we could all say hello to Twix if Twix happens oh, to wake okay. up. So we will definitely welcome okay. that. And I'm okay. so excited for your boys to be able to have a puppy. I went through that same thing when my kids were young. Um, they wanted a dog. And I thought, my husband, I thought we were being really smart. So we had all these prerequisites. Well, it can't shed. It can't smell. It can't do this. It can't do that. <laughs> My kids went on a mission to start researching dogs that met all those prerequisites. And guess what? They came back and said, okay, we found one. And they were right. Hypoallergenic Bichon. And so now, you know, 14, 15 years later, we have our winter white. <laughs> and if y'all know what Bichons look like, they're these white, fluffy, kind of cotton looking dogs. Oh. Um, but yeah, so that's how we got our dog as well. You know, it was, it was the, kids. Always the kids. Always, always the kids. They the get kids. you every time. They got me. They got me, Nika. <laughs> I love that little moment of um, of just kind of expressing some of what's going on in our personal lives. I think sometimes we don't take enough time to very intentionally create that blend. And so we're going to get to all the good stuff, y'all, that I know y'all are here for to hear regarding recruiting and diversity and equity and inclusion. But yes, we're going to have a little fun first. So one of the other things that we talked about before we went live is our affinity and true love for our loss, right? Yes, <laughs> we're so absolutely. Giddy. We went back <laughs> on this conversation so when I first met Jen I have to share this story it was it was it was years ago maybe like what three three years ago I don't know but it was at Society for Diversity Conference yes Yes. you had just started your locks and I remember thinking gosh this is so beautiful and I had it on my radar but I was I was too scared to do it I'm just going to admit I was I was like the permanency of it I don't know I'm too scared to do it and I'm going somewhere with this. There's some. This has something to do with diversity and inclusion. It really does. Yeah. But anyway, so fast forward now, you were already on that journey and your locks are just absolutely beautiful. I'm envious of them. I have to just, I have to share. I am envious of them. I'm trying to get to where you are. You are. Um, but, we, but we talked about just how the freedom, the hair freedom, right? Yes. And, um, and it has been a life changing situation for me. I, I can't share that enough, hands down. So for those of you who are like, well, what are sister locks? They're literally where you take your hair and you lock them and lock yes. them in all different shapes and yes. sizes. Like yours yes. are yours are not sister locks, but they're no. locks. Yes. And um, so anyway, we're educating you on some of the things that um, black women certainly encounter. And now I notice locks like from afar. It, we were yes. talking about how when you see people that look like you, you almost kind of give them the head nod like, I see you. Yeah, I see you. Know, you. Fellow black person, I see see you so I'm like that with my sisters who wear locks I'm like oh I see you girl yes you look great in those locks yes but anyway yeah but people don't understand I don't I don't know until you actually go through the journey of locking your hair that that you really realize just how much of an emotional journey this is as well as the the physical part of of getting your hair locked because I just like you Nika I spent years I knew probably when I was a teenager that I wanted to lock my hair, but I always said that I'm going to lock my hair when I turn 40. Why I said that, I have no clue because um, I locked my hair about, I think I was what, 32, 33 when I locked my hair and I'm about to be 40 next month. And so, I mean, it took me so long to get to the point of saying, okay, I'm going to do this. But a lot of it, Nika, was because I was still in corporate America. Oh, and I, and 100%. I, kept, me too. Yes, me yes. too. And I, I kept asking myself, yeah, 
Because mm. we have been conditioned in corporate America to a degree to see locked hair as less professional, to see yes. natural hair as less. Now we are so, yeah. we're, we're leaps and bounds evolved now where people are like my black my hair is beautiful and I love seeing more people in corporate America but at that time it wasn't many conversations about this no not at all right not at all and so it was an emotional journey and I had to do it go through the coils the locking process but I'm so happy that I'm here it was an incredibly emotional journey. I, re- I remember all the conversations I had with my husband. Do you like yes. this? Do you like yes. that? I mean, I'm like, why am I agonizing over this? But even before that, I remember the process of becoming a loose natural was just as yes. agonizing, right? Yes, and it had much. nothing to do with anything but the perceptions that I felt like I had to, I had to subscribe to. Yes. And now I'm all like, uh, uh, it is, this is I, me. you know what? I love it. I just, the only <laughs> decision that I regret is not doing it sooner. That's exactly yes. what I say too. That's exactly yeah. what and I, I think say. about like the crown act that's really starting to make this conversation even more yes. prevalent because yeah, there's a lot of hair discrimination that's going on. Yes. And if you are not a part of this community, you're like, well, I don't see what the big deal is. It's because you're not a part of this community. You yes. don't know what you have to yes. go through. So anyway, yes. I'll get off my soapbox, but I just had to bring that to the conversation because I felt that how appropriate for okay. us two lock sisters to be in conversation to not talk about our locks, right? I, I love it. And let me just share one other thing. One other Please, thing because, yes. because this is this is how important this conversation is for me that whenever I'm doing workshops now, at um, toward the very end of the workshop, after we've talked about increasing diversity, the hurdles that people face when they're trying to get new jobs, especially from yeah. a circle and represented groups. One of the things that I'll say is, I'll say, I'll, I'll look at the audience and I'll say, you all, I love my locked hair. And it took me a long time to get to this place. But can you believe that there are still people out there that could look at my locks and say that's unprofessional? And so she's not going to be hired. Can you can you see the 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 new like how how just crazy it is to believe that someone's hair is an indication of whether or not they have the knowledge, skills, and abilities to get the job done? And, know, and they'll see it. And that's one of the first times the blinders are coming off. Yeah. It is crazy. I remember when I first, um, I, I remember pinning a letter and I put it on social media. This was years ago. I was a loose natural at this time, but it was really a love letter to my natural hair. And I apologized to my natural hair. And I yes. said, I will never again, not take you into the boardroom, onto a stage. I mean, I mean literally, literally I did. So every so often I'll pull that out. I wish I could find it. I've got placed into the chat, but so many people commented on it. And you know what was more liberating than anything were the women that contacted me to say, Nika, I never would wear my natural hair until I started seeing you wear your natural hair. And then I was like, Nika, if you could do it, yes. then I can do it. Yes. And yes. I felt, oh my gosh. Yes. That is how that is how big this is. But that, Nika, look, this is why representation matters. This is why representation matters. It's in those moments where someone else says, because I saw you, then I can. Because you did, I can. Yes, it's a beautiful yes, thing. I know. Okay, so 15 minutes later, but thank y'all for giving us that liberty because it was so needed. That's a it whole was word. so needed. It was a gift, if nothing else, for Jen and I. And so we yeah. we appreciate that. Okay, so let's jump in. One of the things that I am so excited about, and we're going to talk about it as well as a lot of things, but it's this LEQ tool that you have developed. 
lived experience. And, and I know that you and I have talked about it before because I was so intrigued by it. Uh, I write for entrepreneurs. So one of my articles, and actually I'm going to have my teammates to place it into the chat. Um, it, it talked about that as a really important way of sustaining this work of DEI understanding the importance of lived experiences. And so I want you to share with this audience, what was the impetus for you coming up with the LEQ model? What is it exactly? And just unpack it for us a little bit. Absolutely. So um, for, for anyone who knows me or for those who don't, the lane that we stay in at JTC is all around increasing diversity. And so it's about recruiting and retention because it requires both in order to increase diversity within an organization. And I geek out over this stuff. I, <laughs> you know, I'm that person that I'll just go and study things just for the, just for the sake of studying it, all because it's going to help people to understand how to increase diversity within the organization. Now, one of the places that I kept um, I'm hitting a roadblock around is this idea of, okay, now we all know um, as a society that there are benefits. There's data around benefits to increasing diversity. You know, it um, it increases global competitiveness. It adds to the bottom line. Like there's just data upon data that talks about it. But I'm that person that says, but how, right? But how, how does that work? How does increasing representation in my organization create more competitiveness for a company? What is that it factor? And so um, with the more research we started doing as a team, um, and it wasn't even just Jennifer alone, we actually brought together an advisory board to talk about this as well, that we began, we began unpacking this idea of lived experience. But more specifically than that is the idea of lived experience intelligence. Because right now we just see it as we all have varying lived experiences and we all understand that. But there is an intelligence that comes out of these experiences that allows us to perceive the world differently. And it's through this, this, these varying perceptions of the world and perspectives that if we do this correctly within our organizations, we can catch each other's blind spots, right? And so- and so we, we started off with this idea of lived experience intelligence. And, um, and because there is an intelligence, it doesn't mean that we're necessarily going to leverage our own intelligence because no one has said to us that our lived experiences are an intelligence, just as your education, your work experience, your certifications, all of that great stuff. No one has said that. So we're not really leveraging as much. So we, then we had to shift the conversation forward to talking about the quotient. So lived experience quotient is about how much of it we're using. So think of it this way. LEI is what we have. LEQ is what we use. Yeah, I love that. That is so good. Um, first of all, I love your your framing of I'm going to ask, but how? Not just accept that it does, yes. but but how? I think there's a lot of value into that mindset, so I wanted to call that out. But um, I'm I'm so intrigued by this, and you're right. I think that we can put the word intelligence at the end of it if we're talking about lived experiences, our lived experiences, right? Yes. Of yes. course, we're intelligent about our own lived experiences. Yes. Um, and I bring this to the conversation because that word intelligence. Um, 
is really important. We didn't say competence, we said intelligence, but by yes. the person's own lived experience, their knowledge yes. of their own experience. I think what's so significant about this is I'm sure it requires a big paradigm shift because you're right. When we think about our lived experiences, I don't think people are necessarily seeing that as such critical data that really helps inform big system-wide decisions, you know? Correct. And it sounds like that's what you're trying to get people to do. Let's see this as, as, as really um, relevant and important towards making those decisions. And quite honestly, the simplicity of it it's like mind blowing. It's like, yes, why would we not? Why have we not thought about this before you brought this to the surface, Jen? Right. And, and, but you know, what actually forced me, what forced me to bring this to the surface is the more I'm helping employers learn all about the foundational elements of diversity recruiting, the more I see employers who are well-intentioned yeah. start looking at diversity recruiting as I need to hire you, Nika, as an example, because you're a Black woman. No, mm-hmm. right? Um, and, and that's mm-hmm. not what diversity recruiting is all about, because if you hire right. Nika specifically because she's a Black woman, you're missing out on the intelligence that Nika is bringing in. And so, and so not right, right? Because so what, tip- yes. what, tip- what typically happens is they'll hire Nika because she's a Black woman, so that they can show representation within their organization, but then they mute Nika, and then they tell Nika to assimilate when she gets there, which removes all of um, Nika's feeling safe safe enough yes. to lean in with her whole self. And it also helps us to make sure that we are very intentional to avoid perceptions of tokenism, right? Yes. Exactly. That's big. Exactly. So now if we we flip it and we say, we're hiring Nika because of her lived experience intelligence, and we expect Nika to lean in with it here. And and here's what she's bringing to the table. So now every time Nika speaks, people will want to hear that. And so, but, but it's, it, in order to really explain this idea, like how do we build this this sense of lived experience intelligence, it really goes back to, yes, it's easy to say our lived experiences, but let's take this one step further. Our lived experiences are shaped, shaped by how, by the, the varying ways in which we identify, right? And based on how we identify, we either get access to people, places, and things. And in some ways, we are denied access to people, places, and things, and resources, right? And so all of that shapes how we see the world. And in every day when we go into work, we show up with, and we lean into work through that whole lens through which we see and view and have experienced the world. But what tends to happen is um, we'll get hired into organizations and then we'll, we'll, um, we've been conditioned to cover, to assimilate Conform. in order to keep yeah. getting opportunity, right? Right, right. And then we're not leaning in with our, with our overall LEQ. And so, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a yeah. huge paradigm shift, but there are two really important things that, three really important things that have to happen. One is the individual, the person has to opt in to using their LEQ. The organization has to tap in to the available LEQ. 
and it requires an inclusive environment. In other words, yeah. it requires a safe environment to be able to bring your whole self to work. And that's what we're talking about here. Yeah. And that sounds tremendously important in theory. What I want to do is try to bring this to a practical level, because I'm sure there are others outside of me that are sitting here thinking this makes perfect sense, but now how do we actualize this, right? Yeah. So can you help us to understand how organizations can apply or tap into employees LEI and LEQ in the workplace? Give us some examples. Yes, um, but one of the first things that I do want to repeat again, because there are a lot of organizations out there that say, okay, if I just follow this checklist, then we're doing everything we need to do. But it requires inclusion because you cannot ask your employees to lean in with their LEQ because it, in many environments, it just doesn't feel safe overall. So right. here's here's some- um, There's a prerequisite. Some, I think that's important to amplify. Thank yes. you, Jen. <laughs> yes, thank you. Um, and so some examples are um, when you're creating your job description, and you're saying this position has these basic qualifications. And one, for example, is you need to have this number of years of experience and, and you need to have this degree, for example. Can mm -hmm. a person's LEQ um, shape whether or not you actually have to have a degree or have to have as many years of experience? Because if I'm also leaning in, if I'm leaning in with my LEQ, then why isn't it a basic requirement, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Another way of thinking about um, leaning in with LEQ is I'm thinking about the full employee life cycle. And so think about a person's onboarding experience mm -hmm. and how organizations will sometimes send out company announcements that this person has been hired because they're bringing these knowledge, skills, and abilities. Why not also talk about the, the lived experience mm -hmm. intelligence that they're bringing into the organization as well too, mm -hmm. right? Um, mm -hmm. Another way to embed it is... Um, when you join the team, people are under the the people on the team are understanding the intelligence that you're bringing to the team, specifically how it connects to the customers that your organization has needs or wants. Right. So if if you bring Jennifer onto your team um, and you know that you're trying to attract a whole new pool of customers who have similar lived experiences to Jennifer. Then if, if you're saying to me, Jen, I want you to go on this project team, and my expectations are that you're leaning in with your own intelligence too. So those are just different ways that you can begin sort of um, actualizing it within your, your organization. I love that. Great and practical examples. Yeah. So sometimes we just have to, don't, don't try to overcomplicate it. Let's simplify it. And you're right. I mean, I love the idea of this is, you know, who's joining the team and they have XYZ experience, but then also add in some of that lived experience as well. Um, it's important. I think it's also a way of asking, you know, what, what are some of the intersecting identities or lived experiences that shapes how you show up to this work? That's a question that we ask a lot, you know, especially yeah. like our guest co-host. And even as we are courting um, different, you know, potential colleagues to join our team. Um, so I'm, I'm loving this conversation. So I want to talk about your um, your newsletter, Increased Diversity Newsletter, and when we're going to place it into the chat. I'm a subscriber, and it's always great on-point content, so I encourage you all to subscribe. And again, we'll place that into the chat for each of you, but tell us about what people can look forward to for those that are not already connected to your um, subscription for Increased Diversity. So how long have I been doing this newsletter now? So what is it? Maybe two years maybe two years, but um, we now have a community of, we are almost at 70,000 people strong, almost. Wow. I think it's like 68,000 or something like that. And so this has been 
just such an amazing journey. And every single week, we will um, we'll publish, our team will publish a new newsletter on a concept connected to how an organization can increase diversity or how we explain different topics to people. So as an example, um, we just recently published a newsletter on how we look at defining, here's a, a better example. I ask my team to avoid using the word minority. Mm-hmm. And, and so, and, and I published a newsletter on that very specific topic, why we ask our team to avoid using the word minority. And, um, and we, we really unpack that and break it down in the newsletter. So we have topics like that. We talk about how we define diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. Mm-hmm. We talk about who it takes to increase diversity, what it takes to increase diversity, one of some of the biggest hurdles we'll run into. So any, anything that comes to mind, especially if I receive a lot of questions from an audience or if I'm seeing a pattern in the same questions, I'm like, that's a good newsletter topic. And so <laughs> we unpack yeah. those topics in the newsletter. No, that's great. And the fact that you produce new content weekly, I can see why your numbers of subscribers is so high. That is great. So yes, that's been placed into the chat and encourage you all. Now, under that same name, Increased Diversity, um, you're also exploring some type of conference or summit. Tell us what the vision is and what do we have to look forward to? So um, yes. So there, there are so many things that we're exploring with this idea of increased diversity. And one in particular is a summit in, um, in 2023. And I, I talked to my team a lot about how much expertise we have in our team, but, um, but what it looks like is that it's a one person show because you see you know Jennifer Tardy when you go to jennifertardy.com, right? And I'm like, we have so much expertise internally and there's so much work that we're doing around increasing diversity. We're going to do a summit. We're going to bring my leads out and we're going to talk about different aspects of increasing diversity. As an example, um, we're going to talk about the hiring obstacle course, like how bias is really present in hiring. We're going to talk about how to, um, when it comes to underrepresentation, how to determine if your organization is underrepresented. We're going to talk about workflows and how to make the right workflows. I mean, so we're, we're really taking an opportunity to put some of the top topics on the table and unpack them for um, not, not just for DEI practitioners, but also for career coaches, also for search agencies, also for recruiters, because it's so mind-blowing to me how many different audiences are coming to us saying, oh, we need to understand how to increase diversity too, like career coaches. And I'm like, yes, yes, you do. Yes, yes, that's a good point. I was actually going to ask you specifically about the audience for such a a summit that you're envisioning, because I think oftentimes when people hear, you know, recruitment, we just automatically consider recruiters with that very specific title only or hiring managers. But I would imagine that there are many others outside of those and those titles that certainly would gain value from being in the audience and getting this information. So who would those individuals be? Yes. And so, um, so anyone who's working in DEI today who has to work in conjunction to recruitment because what typically happens is the the DEI team they'll do all of the hard work in you know getting the pillars and the values and everything related to increasing related to diversity equity and inclusion and then we'll say 
all right, recruiters, now we're ready. Go and do your job. And recruiters don't really understand what to do. So then we, we start talking to recruiters as well. They will be a part of this audience too. But then among recruiters, um, will search agencies will come to me and they'll say, hey, my clients are asking me to do some things and I don't really know if it's appropriate or inappropriate. Mm. Bring, come on in search agencies. And yeah. then um, what I was saying before about um, career coaches, because there are career counselors on campuses that are working yeah. with students who are about to go and get jobs. get jobs. And the hiring process is different for people from historically underrepresented backgrounds. And if we're not working with them to help them to understand the obstacles and the hurdles that they're gonna face, then it's gonna be challenging. So we're inviting career coaches to come to this conversation as well too. Yeah, and I would venture to say, Jen, and correct me if you have a different perspective here, but the same way that I see diversity, equity, and inclusion belonging to everybody, being a part of everybody's role, I also think that recruiting is 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 in that same kind of light, you know, that may not be specifically in your job description, but always being a good ambassador to represent the organization well and to look out for great talent, especially talent that's underrepresented, to be able to be in the consideration set is something that everyone should be doing. So what, what's your reflection on that? Nika, you're going to have me standing on my seat in a second. If I didn't think <laughs> it would wake my puppy up. <laughs> Increasing diversity is everyone's responsibility. Now, there, there are people that I do say that you are on the front lines of increasing diversity. So on the front lines include recruiters, hiring managers, and those who are on the interview team as well. You're on the front lines of increasing diversity, but increasing diversity is everyone's responsibility. And let me just give yes. you a great example. One Please. of the articles that, um, that I wrote a while ago in the Increased Diversity newsletter was, um, the question was, how do I increase diversity among Black women? And the reason why I had that title is because at the end of an interview that I did with Fairy Godboss a couple of years ago, she asked that specific question. She said, Jen, if organizations out here want to know how do we increase diversity among Black women, what would you tell them? And then I said, um, one of the first things that I would do if, if I were the CEO of an organization working to increase diversity among Black women is I would have a conversation with my entire staff about the importance of increasing diversity in your personal networks. Yes. Right? Right? Yes. Because what tends to happen is there, there are organizations that have robust referral programs, and then they'll say, hey, you know, we have these open positions, help us through referrals. But then what tends to happen is when employees go and look at their networks, my question to the audience would be, um, of the five people you spend most of your time with, how many of them are Black women? Okay, fine, no judgment. But of the five people your closest network spends the most of their time with, how many of them are Black women? And then you begin to see the biggest issue with increasing diversity through a referral program. Increasing diversity at the professional level starts at the personal level too. Absolutely. I love that. Expand your network, you know, take inventory yes. of who's in your circle, right? We're creatures yeah. of habit. We gravitate to people who are like us. And so yes. if there are certain communities that are not represented within the, the work environment, um, we need to, we need to, with great specificity, name that too. That's something else that I find to be a challenge. You know, we can say we want to increase diversity. We need more diversity, but sometimes we don't take it deeper to be very clear about what are we, what are we saying when we say diversity? You know, Mika, are you reading my diary? So I, let me, let me just, <laughs> I am the, but I'm like, if you need 
more black men, then say that. Yeah. If you need yes. more Latinas, then say that. You know, if you need more mm -hmm. people from the LGBTQ plus community, then say that. Don't be afraid. And I feel like maybe people are, are they think that I'm going to be excluding maybe others if I lean towards that. But I believe that's where the, the context of the data if that's an underrepresented group, then communicate that need with specificity with also aligning it to the data. Is that what you're yes. showing right now? Yes. And, and what tends to happen, and this is what I say whenever I'm training recruiters, is that when you're in an organization that says, hey, recruiters, we're now ready to increase diversity, go out and do your job. If you're not specific, what tends to happen historically, historically, the group that benefits from that language is typically white women when yes. it comes to increasing yes. diversity. So you have to yes. be very specific when you're talking to your recruiters and saying, hey, recruiters, uh, um, per our data, here's where we're underrepresented. Yes. Mm -hmm. One and, of my biggest pet peeves mm -hmm. is when um, organizations report out their diversity and they lump together like, you know, I'm like, I want to break that out. Uh -uh. Let, let me, let's drill down a little bit further. I just <laughs> you know? said that. I just looked oh, at the that, other day. That tells a completely different story. I'm like, no, let's disaggregate this. Let's, let's make yeah. sure we, yeah, I, I need all the data points, right? You can give it to me whole, that's fine. But I also want you to give it to me broken out as well. So yeah, yeah you can't hide behind that. You know, something else people hide yeah. behind what? is diversity of thought. Now, let me just say, I am a believer of diversity of thought. I yes. do believe that that is where you can really yield some of the great outcomes we yes. read about and research all the time. That's where we get great level of innovative thinking, great level of problem solving ability. Yes. But if that is the hill that you're standing on and you're touting that you are really diverse and committed to representation because of diversity of thought, you have missed the memo. You've missed the assignment altogether. You know, so, and I, yes. Oh, let me go back to what you said a second ago, just so I can double click that for okay, a second. When organizations show their results and they say, hey, we're doing a great job because they've aggregated people of color. And I've, I've seen organizations do that and, oh, and yeah. organizations that do employee engagement surveys and they find and they see within their survey results that people are generally happy because they're still aggregating numbers. And so even in this example, because you know, we're talking we, in these examples, we're talking about black people. Even if you look at your, your numbers and you're like, okay, our black people are happy, sometimes you still have to um you have to have to cut that apart, slice that apart too, because you may find that you're overrepresented with black men and the few black women who are there are unhappy. So you have to yeah. be able to, to slice and dice the data that way. Okay. So let me put that no, to the side. Absolutely. Well, and um, it's the same for supplier diversity. A lot of times organizations that tout their commitment to supplier diversity, they're often reporting numbers that are grouping everybody together. And, you know, and again, I, I don't want to seem as though there's there's no value in, in the strides and the progress that people make. But I think it's also important to amplify that we need to drill deeper. We, we need to make yes. sure that we are disaggregating the data and we're to looking at it, it really from says. that respect. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then diversity of thought. I mean... <laughs> you, would have, you would have thought that we practiced this before we came here. So we so did this, not, y'all. <laughs> Michael put into the Michael put into the chat diversity of same thought. <laughs> yes. Hi, Michael. Yes, diversity of same thought. Um, so one of the things that, that I talk about, adversity of thought. 
I like, I like that too. I see you, Alfred. Okay. Um, one of the things that we talk about inside of the lived experience intelligence report mm-hmm. is that there are certain lived experiences that are inaccessible, um, that are inaccessible to white individuals because of white privilege, right? Because of the idea of white privilege, you can't think your way into a lived experience of someone who's experienced marginalization, oppression, and things like that. So we actually unpack this whole idea of through lived experience intelligence, it it moves the conversation further beyond this idea of diversity of thought and why it's still responsible to have representation overall. So I think about that Jen, that's just a fallacy. White privilege, there's no such thing. That doesn't exist. What do you mean? And (laughs) no person of color ever, right? It does exist. It does exist. Correct. So thank you. Yeah. Okay, awesome. So I have so much more that I want to jump into, but I'm not going to be selfish. I'm going to share you with this community. I think that's fair, right? So I'm going to do that. And so um, I already see one hand raised. And so um, Tracy, I'm going to bring you on, spotlight you, let you share your comments or your questions. Um, If others have questions, then I would certainly encourage you to place them into the chat or raise your hand like Tracy has done, and I will um, call on you. So Tracy, I'm bringing you into the fold now. Welcome. What's your question or comment? Hi. Hi, Jen. I'm in Jen's network. So it's good to see you. Good to see you. My question is with regard to the targeted recruiting. I know many of you may not work for the federal government, but I do. And so there's a lot of miseducation about what you can and cannot do um, because it's equated with quotas and affirmative action. And so when you're targeting certain groups, there, there's like a zero sum game where people feel like somebody else is going to miss out on opportunities. Or if it, if it oh, somehow shows up in an EEO complaint, the agency feels like it's going to be susceptible to more EEO complaints because now you're leaving out other groups. So I just wanted to know how do you prepare the clients that you work with, educate them about, no, this is not affirmative action. This is this is what we need to do in order to sustain diversity. An amazing question, an amazing question. Mm -hmm. And we tend to talk about this a lot inside of our our trainings. And one of the first things that I have to do is sort of separate the roles between the recruiter and the hiring manager. The responsibility, a recruiter is accountable for increasing diversity, ensuring that there's diversity within the candidate pool, okay? Ensuring that a candidate pool is well-represented. A hiring manager, there's no business reason for a hiring manager, especially when you have a team of recruiters, to know the demographic, um, the demographics of the candidate pool because it is the responsibility of the hiring manager and the hiring team to hire the most competitive person. The challenge is in order to get there, this hiring team, they have to remove all of their biases, right? So that's the ideal scenario. So there's, there's no... There's no quotas, goals, affirmative action, any of that when a recruiter is doing what they need to do, which is making sure that you have a well-represented candidate pool. And so I could go further, but I think that answers your question. Does that help, Tracy? Perfect. 
Yeah, I'll just jump in on this too. I spot on with um, your, your, your comments there, Jen. You know, I always say, hands down, you hire the best person for the job. No questions asked. Hire the best person for the job. Where organizations tend to fall down on the game is the lack of rigor and due diligence in creating those diverse applicant pools upon which you hire the best person for the job. So precisely what you said is the answer to it is the answer to it. So yeah, and we have to remember that bias shows up not just in people, but also in processes. So how are yes. we eliminating the bias in processes to make sure that again, we have a solid foundation upon which and those hiring managers can yes. do their job and do their job well to yield the outcomes we're seeking. So thank you so much for being here, Tracy. Appreciate your question. Can I, can I add a, another? Of course you can. I, I hope I didn't forget what I was about to say. I hope you um, didn't either. We were talking about hiring the best person for the job. Yes, thank Process you. Thank you, thank you, thank okay, you. You reminded me, yes. I, I, I share with audiences often that the biggest barrier we face to increasing diversity is our um, perception, is our biased perception of who is and who is not qualified, who is qualified and who's not qualified. And so, yes, the very first part, I completely agree. We have to have a well-represented candidate pool, but we also have to solve this challenge of the lens through which we see who is and who isn't qualified because we get stuck in things like professionalism bias, pedigree yes. bias, you know, what come, there are, there are biases for some hiring managers on where you worked last. If you worked at this company, then you're not qualified to work at my job. Are you kidding me? There are some very, very competitive people who are leaving organizations because they're like, I recognize this organization isn't the right organization. And now I'm trying to come over to you. And so we have to work through that as well, too. Yeah. How are we defining what qualified looks like? Yes. You know, how are we defining that? That is so good. OK, I'm seeing some hands up. So I'm going to go to Alfred next. Thanks for joining us. I'm adding you to the spotlight. Please present your question or your Thank comments. You. Yeah, I'm staying off camera because I'm pretty okay. under the weather. And I just rushed back from my son at the doctor's to hear one of my favorite people. So. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, Nika, I met Alfred the same time I met you too. I believe I think I met both of you at the right. same. <laughs> I probably met you too, Alfred. Yeah, that's where I met you. You were okay. presenting both of you. Full circle moment. Thank I love you. It. I, I think love you're supportive of this community. For, you know, week right. after week, and so full circle moment. That is yeah. great. Well, we're glad you're here, great even though you're not here. Yeah. Awesome. Well, a few things. I, I had a question, but I just based on the last two things that were said. Um, there's a, the, it's interesting how there's the who's qualified and then the right fit, uh, you know, pervasive um, cloud above everyone's head. And you've spoken to it at times, Jen, uh, where the, there's an interview and then people get very subjective, objective. Uh, they, you know, not, they go off script for what's, what are the qualifications for the job. And it's more how they're feeling about the individual. Uh, but that wasn't my question. Um, it was about how do you strategically, and you may have mentioned it already, uh, how do you strategically utilize ERGs to, to tap into them, you, them telling you what's really going on and also um, you know, encouraging the, the, uh, the client to, to use them in the process? Great question. This audience, y'all come with, with some good questions early in the morning. Okay. I love it. I love it. So, um, Alfred, as a matter of fact, we just, um, we have an increased diversity toolbox and we just created a whole guide around how recruiters can partner with ERGs in order to increase diversity. 
Um, and so, but one of the disclaimers that I give is that it has to be a mutually beneficial partnership. Otherwise, your ERG members will again feel tokenized and used and uncompensated or, or right. unincentivized right. to do this work. And so I, I also, a part of it is starting the partnership at the leadership level, your head of recruiting and whoever's running the ERGs or the, the, the DEI person, they need to work on a partnership first. And then um, I, I like to um, assign recruiters to ERGs, right? So one recruiter would be a part of one ERG where not only are they sharing information on what's happening in recruiting, every month, but they're also supporting that ERG as well. And in turn, they're showing ERG members that if you want to support increasing diversity, here's what that looks like. You're asking, um, you're listening to their voices and you're, you're listening to what events and places they're also recommending too. So it has to be a mutually beneficial relationship. But yes, partnerships are not only valuable, I always recommend it in a strategy to increase diversity. Did that help? Yes, it did. And you made, you made such a great point. Uh, we don't want them to be doing free labor. Uh, right. and, and also, um, to, they should be getting credit and their reviews for all this extra work uh, and adding to the ROI uh, for their involvement. As a matter of fact, if you can show um, one of the, the best benefits, if I'm an ERG member, and, and you can show how now I can add this partnership to my internal resume that's going to help me be more promotable. That's an incentive. Incentives don't always have to be monetary, but if they can help me get to the next level or reach my own career goals as an individual, then that's a great incentive too. Yeah, that is so true. But I do want to, because um, I'm, I'm on this kick of amplifying for financial compensation for yes. these ERG leaders, because yes. what they bring to the organization is significant. They are business centric outcomes that they're bringing to the organization. And that 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 deserves um, compensation. So my that's my soapbox and I'm going to continue to it. stay on it as long as I can. Okay, so um, we have about 10 minutes left. I want to try to get as many additional questions in as I can. If you are joining us LinkedIn Live, certainly put your questions into the comments. The team is watching that and they'll bring it into our direct conversation here. So Yolanda or Yolanda, I'm going to give you an opportunity to um, join the conversation. And um, so thanks for being here. Feel free to correct me if I pronounce your name incorrectly. I don't know if it's Yolanda or Yolanda. Let me know. Hi, ladies. It's Yolanda. Yolanda. Uh, okay, great. Thank my you. my <laughs> first experience with you both, and it won't be my last. I'm enjoying every moment of this. Um, so I am responsible for recruitment and retention. Um, at a small PR firm. What I'm finding is the PR field lacks diversity just holistically across the board. So my question really becomes, what are some best places to scour when looking for people to fill our positions? I mean, I'm all over LinkedIn. I have a recruiter account um, and we post in specific job boards and places, but are there any good places to look for diverse candidates? So... There, there are two ways of thinking about this, right? And I've actually um, partnered with, I think, the PR Council in the past. Um, so mm -hmm. I have so too. I, yeah, that's what I was thinking too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So now, now, so there are two ways of thinking about this. On one end, 
one of the challenges that I find organizations are experiencing is who um, is among their talent pool. And what tends to happen with an organization is that they, they think that if you're only a part of my talent pool, if you're a part of the industry. And what we have to begin to broaden this idea of who our talent competitors are. And one of the activities that I, that I ask organizations to do is look at the resumes of the people that you just hired. Where did they come from? Was it in your industry or outside of your industry? Look at the people who said yes to your opportunity. What other jobs did they say no to to accept your opportunity? What about the people who said no to your opportunity? Which jobs did they say yes to? Because I want you to have a clear idea of who your talent competitors are that may be outside of your industry and use that data to shift the mindset of your hiring managers who are like, I only want you to hire within our industry, number one. Number two, the, um, the second thing that I share with recruiters quite often is that once you know areas where you're underrepresented, I'm all about the data. Thank you, you are too, Michael, right? So, <laughs> the, the second thing that I want you to do is once you have a better idea of uh, in which areas are you underrepresented, as you're thinking about your sourcing strategy, also post your positions and engage in spaces that are overrepresented in areas where you're underrepresented. I know that you're looking, you're, you asked your question because you're looking for specific silver bullets, but what I'm trying to do is broaden the mindset of giving you 15 other ideas versus one idea. This is great. Can I just share one other thing, one bonus, because now you have me on my soapbox too. <laughs> Well, one of the things that I recommend to organizations is this idea of a boomerang program if you haven't tried it before. There are many people who um, have worked in our organizations over time who, for whatever reason, may have left because they believe that the grass was greener on the other side. Mm. And then they go over to the other side and they realize the grass isn't greener, but they're afraid to say, hey, can I come back over there? What about an invitation to them? What about the people who declined your job offer and putting a note on your calendar three to six months from now just to check in? What if everybody within your organization thought of one amazing person they used to work with at a previous company and sent an invitation out to that one person to say, hey, come and apply to our open opportunities here. Can you imagine how you can really increase, increase, increase the candidate pool from that, from that standpoint? That's I hope that was helpful. So helpful. Thank you yeah. so much. Perfect. Yeah, I, I was once a boomerang and um, yeah, it worked out in my favor. So, right, yeah. right. Love to boomerangs. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But I love, I love what you shared, Jen, about, again, it goes back to what you said earlier, which is how are we defining being qualified? Sometimes we are too narrow focused on um, industry specific language that allows us to feel like, yes, this person is it. They can do the work. Right. But um, my background is marketing communication. So I know the whole PR world and I understand, you know, the, the, the intricacies of how it's not well represented. And I remember when I was in that industry, one of the things that I, I led a lot of, a lot of um, um, leaders around was how do we create the exposure opportunities? Because sometimes people don't even know that's a career path that they, they should have on their radar, right? Yes. You know, they're like, PR, what is that exactly? Do you like to write? Do you like to communicate? Do you like to research? I mean, you know, and so sometimes even reframing it in a way to where people can then see themselves as, well, yes, I should be interested in this. I should apply for these opportunities is important as well. So thank you so much, Yolanda, for thank being you. here and sharing your question.
Nika, that's a very big deal, a very big deal what you just said, because um, it's this whole idea of signaling. Like through, through your job descriptions, who are you signaling belongs at your company? Because, you know, we may grow up and I remember I was doing it, um, someone wanted to partner with me once who was talking about um, um, Black women surfboarding. And she, and she was like, Black women do go surfing. But, you know, we don't grow up seeing enough representation that we count ourselves out of this idea of, of surfboarding or just different industries as well, too. So sometimes you actually have to say, we are underrepresented in this area. I want you to see yourself here. And oh, by the way, if you have any great referrals, let us know. Yeah, true story. Playing off of um, what I just mentioned when I was in the advertising marketing communications industry, we launched this program that caused us to go into high schools, to high schools to say, what do you know about advertising? What do you know about marketing communications? What do you know about PR? And we had to talk about it as, you know, you're branding right now for Nike. I see your Nikes that you have on because people weren't able to really connect the dots. And there are true stories right now where I still keep in touch with beautiful professionals of color that are in this space that were introduced to that industry because of that minority high school program where we went into the schools to say think about this right you know so it starts early and I realize it's not something that's going to solve it right away but we have to be very creative and innovative in our approach to are we looking for a quick fix or are we also looking to really build up um, something that can be sustainable for the long term and those are the types of ways I think we can sustain those those situations where we're finding certain markets being um, grossly underrepresented by um, by professionals of color. So yeah, this is great. Okay, so we have three minutes left, Jen, and I'm sure we could probably go on. I know this has been such a good conversation. We've gone from sister lots to I mean, the gamut, right? (laughs) But what I do want to give you an opportunity to talk about is um, your relationship with LinkedIn. I mentioned that as Mm -hmm. I was reading your bio. I think that's such a tremendous opportunity for you. And I want people to know how can they tap that? Um, Mm -hmm. What what, what are the ways in which you are directly supporting through a coaching um, component um, through your partnership with LinkedIn? So, um, so I've been working with LinkedIn since about 2017 and LinkedIn has like different beta programs sometimes where they'll ask us to, to come in and and try out different tools. Um, but one of the things that, that they're working on right now is around like the LinkedIn audios. And so sometimes we'll do LinkedIn audio events that way. LinkedIn has a group called the, um, it's, um, premium career coaching. So if you're a premium member, and you join that group, you can see different coaching materials and tools there too. But one, the biggest part of the partnership is all of the behind the scenes beta testing. Um, we also have a diversity recruiter central LinkedIn group too that we manage that way. And then the work that we're doing with the Society for Diversity, we do that through LinkedIn too. Yes, fantastic. So lots of ways to get connected, whether it's through the society, whether it's through, you know, if you haven't upgraded your LinkedIn account to premium, do consider that. There's a lot of great value there, including being able to connect with Jen and her coaching services. Uh, So Jen, this has been such a a tremendous opportunity for us to reconnect. And I'm a big fan and I have been since we met three or so years ago at the Society for Diversity Conference Mm -hmm. and um, continue to follow your success, your work, continue to envy your sister locks and think they're just gorgeous on you. I want to give you you the last 60 seconds to share with us any parting remarks. Maybe there's something that you didn't get a chance to, 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 um, to tap into. I want to give you that opportunity as we close out. 
Um, one of the things that I appreciate is uh, with with you and me, Nika, is that we have the type of relationship where it's like, you're awesome. No, you're awesome. No, you're awesome. No, you're awesome. And I truly believe that everyone, that everyone should have somebody in their network or many people in their network where you can have that type of relationship and thought partnership. It's really important, especially if you're in doing the work of DEI, because it can be very yes. exhausting, very emotionally draining, but we have good work to do. Um, the only other thing that I'll say connected to what we've been talking about today is that um, I really believe in this work of increasing diversity. I really believe that it is possible. We just need more organizations to get connected to the immersive levels of training that it takes to do this work effectively. So if I can be of support, just reach out to us at jennifertardy.com and we can, we can go from there. Um, jennifertardy.com, that's fantastic. Thank you so much. And um, there's so much alignment that we have to find some additional ways that we can collaborate because Absolutely. yeah, I'm, I'm, I am vibing with you very much. So thank you to each of you for joining us today. If you found this conversation to be useful and helpful and share it out, let folks know they can get it on a podcast or they can catch the replay. And we're so grateful that you um, spent this hour with us. Enjoy your weekend. Be safe, everyone. Bye-bye.